0: Hi, my name's Sam Brakegear, and welcome to Brains Spite Back. On this podcast, we examine everything to do with how our psychology overlaps with technology and impacts our society. In this episode of the most dangerous countries on the internet series, we will be looking at Iran. My guest joining me today to discuss this is the head of threat research at Blue Hexagon, a company that focuses on threat detection powered by deep learning. He also previously led the malware and threat research team at Palo Alto Networks. He's been in the malware research threat intelligence industry for over 10 years and has worked with several security vendors across Asia and North America, Irfan Asrar. And for our good news future, we have a positive story out of Australia relating to Elon Musk and energy. This episode is brought to you by Publicize. Publicize is a digital PR company that stands out from other legacy agencies. They don't charge large retainers or simply send out press releases when you have something to announce. Instead, they have a transparent and modular approach to PR that ensures you only pay for what you need. They refer to this approach as growth communications for everyone, and it makes them the default option for tech startups looking to take their first steps in PR. If you want more information, you can request a free PR assessment at publicize.co and find a tailored PR strategy that works for you. And exclusively for Brain Spike back listeners for a limited time only, those who sign up for a 12 month package will receive one month free. To claim this promotion, visit
1: publicize.co slash BBB. I am actually in California, um, right next to the Google campus um, here in Sunnyvale, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, what well, weather is great today. And um, unfortunately, there's nobody on the street, so it's it's a typical day here given the current situation.
0: Yeah, and how long's how long has it been like that for? I'm guessing you're on quarantine, you're locked down, and everyone's in their homes, right?
1: That is correct. Um, it's been—I I think people started really taking it seriously um, this week. Prior to that, I mean, there was uh, what they call shelter-in-place in effect, but you know, you could still see traffic. And you know, if if you've ever been to California, there's this stretch of road uh, called 101 Highway 101. Yeah. It basically connects, uh, you know, the Bay Area to Los Angeles, and it goes on. Uh, yeah, that is literally the lifeline of the pulse. You can kind of gauge the pulse of the city by looking at traffic. There, there's nobody there today, and um, you know, and the numbers coming out, it's really looking bad. I think everybody's kind of now seriously taking this into consideration and kind of t- doing the responsible thing and staying at home.
0: Yeah, well, I saw um, the cases in the U.S. surpassed any other country now, so I, I, I hope you're alright sure. and I hope you're you're staying safe. So far here um, in Colombia, it hasn't triangle. been too bad. I think. Well, I mean, true. it's growing, but it's. Yeah, we we've been in lockdown for like a, a about a week and a half, two weeks now, and they they're taking it very seriously. So yeah, everyone's indoors, everyone's like tucked away. Nice,
1: nice. So yeah. hopefully, people will kick in. But
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the only issue. I've I've got uh, my own place, so I live by myself, and uh, I'm like I'm kind of grateful in the sense I'm not stuck with someone that I'm like, oh, why do I have to be with this person for another two weeks? <laughs>
1: right. But at the same
0: time, also like, well. All I've got is my plants to talk to. So,
1: well, <laughs> you know that, that's one of the things a lot of people are talking about. They're talking about the Corona divorces. I mean, a yeah. lot of people kind of, like waiting. Like the number of divorces has spiked right after this thing's over.
0: <laughs> yeah, I also thought there could be the reverse as well. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, right. missed. And I was thinking, I bet there's. I hope, I'm not a bear, yeah. but I hope there's many marriages out there that perhaps weren't doing so well now that they've been forced to to stay <laughs> or forced into like a home together. They realize why they fell in love. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. There you
1: go. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's one way to look at it, the optimist way. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get into it. I'm really happy to do so. And before we do, would you be able to explain to our listeners who you are and what you do?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Arfan Aswar. I've been in cybersecurity for the last 15 years. Um, I started off my career working with Symantec, working in Japan office, um, and then eventually moved on to McAfee, uh, running a threat research team um, out here in North America. And uh, eventually, you know, went to a couple of other companies, including Palo Alto Networks, managed a threat team over there, and then saw this, you know, wonderful thing. uh, The startup called Blue Hexagon was doing here in California with AI. To uh, to protect against uh, threats out there, and uh, came over here, and now manage a threat team over here. Nice,
0: awesome. So, uh, so you're definitely someone which uh, I can rely on when it comes to knowing which are the most dangerous countries in the world. It's I hope good so. to have you on here. <laughs> so, obviously, like uh, I, I left this to an open question. I was really interested to hear back from experts like yourself, which countries they think are the most dangerous countries in the world, and to to pick one which they'd like to talk about. And obviously, you chose Iran. Uh, would you be able to like tell us like why like in your opinion do you think it's one of the most dangerous countries and why you chose to talk about it
1: well absolutely well so you know it, it really comes down to there, there's only a handful of countries but a lot of researchers that like i said you know they base their findings on facts and have to back it up with data and stuff and if you if you look at those countries that are considered dangerous that they look in, in, in to, or most people kind of approach it from the thought of um what are the most infected number of people in that region um as well as how many attacks are originating out of that region? I mean, that that tends to be the two more easier low-hanging fruits of um, evaluating uh, the scope of danger. Um, And, you know, several companies come into play. A lot of people, they tend to pick Eastern Europe, um, you know, and the last stats I heard was about 82% of sites being attacked around the world. They seem to originate out of Eastern Europe. But the thing about Iran, um, you know, is that that there's no stats. And, And if you look at the fact that a lot of the targeted attacks, in fact, the vast majority of targeted attacks that have come out in 2019 and, um, you know, and some of the stuff we are seeing early on in 2020, the targeted groups have been traced back to Iran. And that kind of got me interested in looking like what else is going on out there, you know, and then we started investigating, um, you know, what other attacks are out there in, you know, in the population itself? Um, what are the threat families that are active on there? And it really, you know, brought up some interesting uh, data that we Realized was not published anywhere else, and what we realized was that that because of sanctions, uh, you know, which went into effect in 1984, normal businesses like security companies or you know, um, you know, IT companies, they can't do business officially in Iran. So there's this huge issue with piracy over there. There's this huge issue with not having the ability to download security software that we take for granted um, while we're here. As a result of it, it's created this huge incubator of uh, threats not only targeting that region because of outdated software, but because of, again, because of sanctions, you have this ecosystem of, um, you know, young adults, um, talented people, very smart people who just graduated out of college. They don't have a job, not much to look forward to in terms of prospects. So they they turn to the dark side. Um, And that's created this wave of targeted attacks, you know, where they feel that the vest is the enemy. Um, you know, the government's got a message and they, they kind of use these guys to send that message by creating attack-sponsored groups, as well as um, whenever something goes wrong, they create an enemy and then, the you know, the, the hackers or the, their people. Analysts decide to start defacing websites around the world.
0: Yeah. So just so I have this clear, it's kind of a case of uh, attacks from inside Iran going externally. Correct. It's not kind of, it's not necessarily internal. It's not like, um, Irani citizens attacking other Irani citizens. It's like Irani citizens attacking other countries around the world—is that more or less correct?
1: Actually, both. We've we've seen interesting cases of both. But what what is really interesting is that there's very little research done into internal attacks on you know um, Iranian citizens attacking other Iranian citizens, or possibly uh, government-backed attacks against Iranian citizens. There's very little data published. Um, you know, and, 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 and I'll, I'll give you an example in 2019 when there were protests taking place. And, and what the government realized was was black, by blacking out the internet or allegedly you know the the, the people of Iran kind of blamed it on government-based blackouts they they claimed that you know this was an attempt by the government to to disrupt the protesters from organizing and planning out future protests um and you know what essentially what was happening was um you know you, you could see like a complete blackout take place from different cities as far as uh, internet communications go and they also blacked out specific Protocols um, and URLs related to a few apps such as WhatsApp and Telegram, which was used by a lot of protesters for organizing. So it, it's a mix of both. And then, you know, the other thing that we saw coming out in 2019 was people realized, hey, if they used a VPN software, they can get around some of these, um, you know, uh, blockings. They started a whole bunch of people circulating malware disguised as VPN apps or fake versions of Telegram, they thought would allow them to get through the blackouts. So it's a mix of both that is really fascinating.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that first came to mind when you first reached out and said about Iran, I was really interested to speak with you because my only association with it is like the blackout that happened obviously in 2019. So I thought to myself, I was like, well, obviously the the term the most dangerous countries on the internet, essentially, like, obviously, I thought of it as the idea of like, oh, it's this country is dangerous to the rest of the world. But I also considered it like, oh, you might be talking about the fact that the government uses the Internet in a malicious way in the sense of taking it away from the people or they might use it to control it in some way. That's why I was really interested to hear from you, like what the situation was. And also it kind of surprises me that they're so high up on attacks in a country where the Internet is almost treated like a privilege rather than a right
1: absolutely correct about that. I mean, it, it's one of those things. I mean, it's a country that has a lot of resources and, you know, it's sitting a lot of wealth, but they can't cash it out anywhere as a result of high unemployment. And the fact that you have sanctions in place means internet is, it's somewhat limited in sense. Um, the sense. And, you know, there's, there's, of course, the government, they, they've kind of heavily censored sites, as well as gatewayed a lot of access to who can access internet to what level. So it, it kind of creates this ecosystem of privilege as well, where, where certain people have access to certain things versus, you know, other uh, people, they have to either use VPN software to access Internet or bypass um, the gateways to to get to what they need to get to.
0: Mm. And I suppose if there is a case of Internet being treated like uh, a privilege or something you earn access to, then, of course, the government is going to give it to those that carry out their bidding. Um, if they are supporting attacks or if they are... Intending to harm foreign nations through um, through attacks, then I guess the government's gonna give it to those people that do it, and then take it away from the citizens which are are not on their side. So yeah, exactly. it, it creates an right. ecosystem, like you said,
1: right? Yeah. And you know, another example of this is the the you know after the incident with the the crash, you know, people on the ground were there were already circulating images on Twitter, um, and on Instagram, um, mm. you know, uh, about uh, the fact that the aircraft was um, shot down accidentally and you know they started circulating images of uh, what was allegedly wreckages and you know it couldn't be verified because it was just uh really badly pictures taken from mobile phones and stuff like that but and then a blackout occurred immediately coincidentally which again to this day the government claims it, they were not responsible for which which prevented people from sharing information so it, it it is really interesting how many times these coincidence blackout occur when there's major political events taking place over there
0: yeah have you ever been to iran out of interest
1: I have. I have. but This was a long time ago. And at that point in time, I was actually born in a country called the United Arab Emirates, which is not mm-hmm. too far away. Uh, Dubai, essentially. And, yeah. you know, um, anybody growing up in there, it's always kind of it, it's not too far. It's about a couple of hours away from flight. So you, you, you definitely have been to the capital city of Tehran and then, you know, you've, you you get a chance to go around it. It's a very beautiful company. People are amazingly hospitable. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got nothing but praises for the people over there.
0: Yeah, no, it does It does sound wonderful. One of my best friends from the UK, his uh, family are from Iran, and it's a big part of his culture. And um, yeah, he's told me about it, but I've never actually, I've never really been to that part of the world. It's a part of the world which I'm not very familiar with. However, right. th- th- you've related Iran and North Korea in the sense that they're kind of black holes for internet. And I see like that doesn't surprise me too much for North Korea right. because it's notoriously like a hermit society. It's not like <laughs> that big for tourism. Whereas I didn't really ever consider Iran as somewhat of a closed society, even though I do know that it it doesn't have the best government in the sense that the people aren't happy with it. And it's it's yeah not too dissimilar in that sense. But is it a society which is quite almost like a hermit society, like keeps to itself? Or is it a society which you like can more freely travel through or visit or be a part of?
1: well you know i honestly i i my experiences with traveling that region it's it's been nothing but praises for the people if you go there the weirdest thing is that um, you know i was there this was just literally i think the last time i was there it was back in the 80s and what i can tell you then was uh, sanctions had just started um so the impact wasn't felt immediately um but even the people I know have kind of been back more recently in the last couple of years, they, they will tell you that, um, of course, people do feel the impact in Sanchez, but when you're traveling through uh, different parts, you know, and you can see all these YouTube videos of people actually creating these video blogs of, uh, you know, either uh, driving across uh, from one part to the other part or or just more cycling, uh, you know, because the fact gas is so cheap over there, it's locally produced. Uh-huh. They have never felt like society was closed. Yes, there are certain restrictions. There are restrictions on alcohol. Um, you know, there's certain restrictions on um, uh, things that as far as television channels that are accessible and stuff. But as far as like the ability to travel, they're very open and the government has been encouraging tourism, you know, especially around the Middle East as a destination for people to, to travel to. There are, of course, certain times of the year, such as the religious month of Morim, uh, you know, when they, the, Shias um, they observe certain practices that travel tends to be a little bit more restrictive, um, you know, restaurants and hotels, they, they tend to be, um, you know, at certain times that they open and they offer food. But other than that, I've never actually viewed it as a country or, or the people there where they felt foreigners need to completely be cut off, or they felt, uh, that we don't welcome people to that country.
0: Yeah. No, I suppose in that case it's just like how I imagined in the sense that it is the internet is the internet, which is kind right. of isolated and kept almost like um, under control of the government. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. I suppose this entirely depends on political factors potentially. But how do you foresee like the lands or the digital landscape of Iran changing? Do you think that the situation of their attacks is going to become right. more sophisticated and more dangerous, and they're going to become a country which is going to pose more of a threat to other countries? Or do you think that this will somehow <laughs> resolve itself in some way?
1: You know, I'm, I'm really hoping things will improve for the better. Um, but, you know, given the uh, the current state of attacks, especially well, you know, we, we in January, um, Blue Hexagon, they kind of discovered, we discovered two attacks that were pretty sophisticated um, that originated from that part of the world that were targeting other countries in that region. And if you compare the sophistication level, of these attacks in the past five years, you can see that there's an incremental improvement every single time. Um, And what is even more alarming is more people are actually kind of jumping on the bandwagon and you've seen these new um, actor groups popping up in support of the messaging. Um, And uh, unfortunately, I don't see that going away anytime soon. Given the current state of events with the tension between the West and the East, um, unfortunately, it creates that incubator where I, I don't see anything improving in the next five years, but unfortunately, possibly becoming a little more scarier
0: yeah um, i i can imagine unfortunately even though i i asked that question hoping for a positive answer i I kind of had my suspicions that that would be the case like i said i'm a bit of an optimist but i do have a slight overhanging sense of anxiety that with this coronavirus obviously certain economies are going to suffer or most economies are going to suffer and on one of my previous uh episodes regarding most dangerous countries on the internet we to discuss brazil and right. one of the reasons why brazil is so dangerous is because they well we we discussed potentially is because of the crime that they have there and when right. crime goes up there's there's more freedom to to commit crime certainly i suppose on the right. internet where there's less repercussions with greater desperation following economic crises
1: absolutely so, then we're
0: probably going to see from Iran and many other countries, an increase potentially in these kinds of attacks.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I think it goes both ways. It's not going to be only external, but also internal as well. Uh, One of the things we were tracking just um, last week, um, you know, March 19th uh, was the Persian New Year, which is a huge event in that part of the world. What we we saw was a couple of days before that earlier, prior to that, there was rhetoric coming out of official channels from Iran about the incident related to the assassination of uh, Soleimani, um, General Soleimani. And then what we realized, we figured that this usually is a combination for a spike. That spike didn't happen um, as big as we thought it would. And you know, we, we, we feel that's probably because of the fact that it's happening there as a result of the epidemic or the pandemic. It has slowed things down, but we are seeing an increased wave. But what is also interesting is we're also seeing an internal wave where, um, and, and th- this is the, the irony part, which um, sanctions may have actually contributed to the growth of coronavirus. And, and I'll give you an example. There was an app released by a government agency in Iran that was um, trying to socially gather information about which parts of Iran were more impacted. Uh, by coronavirus uh, and COVID-19 than other parts were. And it was purely an app that was, um, you know, looking for, hey, uh, here are the symptoms. Uh, do you identify with any, these symptoms? It, it would just anonymously upload that information and put a, a dot on a map indicating how many people have volunteered information and how many they actually showed symptoms. And it would kind of give people an idea of where is it safe to travel, where is it not safe to travel, because the Persian New Year is a very big event where people are constantly mobile and they're going from one city to another city. Uh-huh. fortunately, this app got removed from Google Play um, not because there was a privacy concern. the Rumors speculated all over the place that this app was a spyware uh, from the government to basically figure out um, information um, and locations of individuals. And people were worrying what's going on, what's going on. And then when Google removed the app, that that further instigated that rumor, but it, it turned out Google removed the app just because of the fact that you know it was it was uploaded. Uh, by an Iranian developer, and of course, because of sanctions, they cannot facilitate commerce from that region. So now what we're seeing is that there was a spike, and in, in about two days ago, we actually saw fake versions of this app, which was actually malware, spyware, yeah. that were circulating because of the fact that there's no official distribution point for this, this health app anymore. So in underground third-party markets, there, there's like several versions of it that are actual spyware that are people have um, decided to use and abuse just because there's a vacuum in terms of what can they use to, to seek out information uh, for health purposes. So it, it's also increasing there. We're also seeing spikes in fraud in terms of Bitcoin. You know, people around the globe, they've got families in Ireland, they're trying to send money back um, not only for the New York, but for their families at the thing which because of sanctions in place, they, they got to do through channels like Bitcoin or digital currency. And there's also a spike in, in those um, applications or fake wallets that we're seeing related to that. So people can kind of you know hijack currencies or they can uh, trans transactions. So it, it's unfortunately going both ways as a result of the instability there and a lack of uh, job prospects.
0: Yeah, it seems like a haven where they're able to just yeah. tap into this uh, gap in the market and just fill it with their, their own spyware or their own technology and their own threats. And yeah, yeah I, I think I heard that Iran has a complicated relationship with Bitcoin. I suppose it comes from like their tyrannical government. I, I think there's some issues with the legality behind Great. it. But um, yeah, and also it, it makes sense that the people that have such distrust, I, I remember hearing that one of the members of parliament or whatever members of government went on an interview and they had the virus apparently they were coughing on tv and <laughs> and it just seemed really bizarre but apparently the people thought that this person was faking it to go on tv and be like, oh yeah i have the virus i have the virus and then a few days later come out and say oh see i'm over it. i'm cured just to reduce people's fear or increase faith in the government that oh this virus isn't too bad or all oh, these these health ministers or this this person from the government was able to recover from it but Absolutely. clearly cl- yeah clearly the the people's faith or the people around their faith is very low in the government so can understand Absolutely. why they would have that.
1: Absolutely, no, definitely, and you know, and, and it's one of these. It's it's these times that they turn to the internet for answers or or just to get independent views of what's going on from the outside to figure out what's yeah. actually going on in their own country. <laughs> and that's what people are trying to take advantage of. They're either trying to prevent that or hamper that or hijack it with their own agendas.
0: It's a sad situation where genuinely innocent people that just want to live their lives and have like access to decent information seem to be at the end of it all yeah that's a shame well um that's all my questions for now unless there's anything else you you have to add
1: thank you same here it's been a pleasure um really appreciate samuel and you know like i said if you're looking for any more information you know we will be more than happy to share it with you and um you know give you stats on anything that we we can get hold of
0: awesome and if people do want to follow you yeah, Um Do you have social media? Is there a website they can go to?
1: Absolutely. So we actually have um, the the official threat Intel uh, Twitter account for me and my team is the Blue Hexagon account. I can send that to you if you don't mind. I, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Name. It's underscore blue underscore hexagon, or I think it's Blue Hexagon one word. And uh, you know we're we're constantly blogging over there about um, situations around the world. You know, a lot of us have expertise when dealing with threat actors and APT groups from Iran. And you know what what we're trying to do is basically use AI. T- to detect new attacks. In fact, what happened back in January was our AI technology detected an attack called Dustman, um, which was the newest variant of an attack called Shamu that's been happening for several years. And on that same day, IBM actually was talking about a previous version of the attack that they had discovered. So we actually discovered uh, with AI a newer version of an attack that nobody else had seen. It's really fascinating for us applying AI to to some of these actors, especially in regions uh, such as Iran, where there's all these people that are coming together and trying to figure out what can they do to disrupt things around the world. So it, it's it's one of those areas where there's a challenge in cybersecurity, and um, we feel AI is a better approach to doing it. And we, we like to publish our research and findings for people to uh, to use, um, you know, as they feel.
0: Uh, send it over and um it sounds like you're going doing good work uh Thank at least you. um for for the people that would do genuinely need this like the people of Iran <laughs> so let's uh, <laughs> let's hope uh they have a more prosperous future
1: mm-hmm. absolutely man that <laughs>
0: Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Publicize. If you want to find out more about their PR packages, the free resources they have available or receive a free PR assessment, you can visit their website and for a limited time only, Brains Bite Back listeners will receive one month free with a 12-month package at publicize.co slash news. According to Popular Mechanics, Elon Musk's battery farm is an undeniable success and it has saved Australia tens of millions of dollars. The article states that Elon Musk's Australian solar and wind farm successfully powers rural South Australia, whose population density falls between Wyoming and Alaska, the two least dense US states. In 2016, South Australia experienced a near total blackout after an apocalyptic storm involving 80,000 lightning strikes and at least two tornadoes, Vox explains. In the aftermath, A conservative politician blamed the push for renewable energy for the extent of the blackouts. Musk jumped in online and said he was sure that Tesla could come up with a solution. When an Australian billionaire asked if he was serious, Musk jumped in to promise his team was able to do it. Mike Cannon Brooks posted on Twitter, Lyndon and Elon Musk, how serious are you about this bet? If I can make the dollars happen and the politics, can you guarantee the 100 MW in 100 days? to which Musk tweeted back, Tesla will get the system installed and working a hundred days from contract signature or it is free. That's serious enough for you? Perhaps someone should tweet at Musk asking about what he can do for a Corona cure. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you liked it. I hope you loved it. If you want more like that, go to sociable.co. They're all up there, all our episodes. And we have a collection of great articles produced by the sociable team. And as always, you can follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, lots of casts, all the casts, too many casts to mention. Follow us and never miss an episode. Thanks for joining. Take care now.